Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Namihi nui and welcome to Our Changing World from RNZ National. New homes for baby power. Power, or abalone as they're known overseas, were in the headlines in the aftermath of the damaging Kaikoura earthquake in November 2016. The one to six metres of uplift along that coastline left much of the intertidal zone high and dry, including lots of power. People mounted rescue operations to move stranded animals back down to the water. That's because we Kiwi love power, or at least we love to eat them. Now power scientist Ren Naylor from Niwa is showing baby power a little love in return by trialling safe houses for them. Before the houses were shipped down to Kaikoura for testing there, Ren ran a small experiment on Wellington's south coast. And on an extremely calm day during a king low tide, I went to join him. We're checking some concrete um, power habitats that we put out two months ago. We put them out with um, 50 hatchery red power in them that were about, on average, about 30 millimetres long. So we're just checking to see how many of them are still there and how many are still in the kind of local environment. So you've got two divers in the water? Well, paddlers really, Alison. It's low tide, it's pretty shallow, so, yeah... How many of these have you got in the water? Uh, we've got 12 here, yeah. And do you want to describe one to me? They're basically concrete blocks, and they're the shape, I suppose, of an upside-down oven tray made out of concrete that's 40 mils thick. Um, they're about 300 mils long and about, I don't know, 250 wide and 100 mils high, and they've got little entrances um, in the sides. They're designed to mimic under-boulder habitat, which is the habitat that juvenile power like, because when they're young, they don't like the light, and they live under rocks, you see. So these are designed to to basically mimic that habitat. So they're designed to be a perfect powerhouse? Pretty much. They were designed to try and get an index of recruitment in an area, right, to try and see the number of little power that are around. And you can do that if you just go out um, into rock balls and turn the boulders, but the problem with that is that all the boulders are different sizes, right? And if they're too big, you actually can't turn them over. So the idea was to design a standardised structure so that they're all the same size that would attract little power between about 40 and 80 mils from the surrounding habitat and you could easily monitor them, you just go out, turn them over, count them, put them back. And when power are about that length, say 40 to 80 millimetres, in two or three years' time they will recruit to the fishery, which means basically they'll be 125 millimetres long. 
So it's really, they were designed to to try and tell us how many in an area would be coming through into the fishery in two or three years' time. So that was what they were designed for, and they seem, we've put a couple out, and they seem to work really well for doing that. The little guys like them. Um, and then we thought, I was talking with the industry guys, we thought that because there'd been quite a lot of habitat loss at Kaikoura, and probably a lot of juveniles associated with that habitat had also been lost. We could put some there to, A, create habitat, and, B, it would mean that we could put reseeded juveniles there and they'd have somewhere to live. So this is what this is trialling, whether that's going to be an effective way to reseed power. So turning it from a research house into an emergency housing situation. Yeah, something like that, Alison, something like that, yeah. So we're doing two pilots. This is the first pilot on the south coast just to see if they work. And it appears from what we've seen so far that the little guys, you know, they were 20 to 30 mils. They don't stay in there for that long. And it's probably the habitat inside the concrete blocks... um, just isn't complex enough for them you know they like to be in smaller cracks um, but we'll once we've checked these we'll search as much as we can um, all the boulders around them and it's so to see how many are still alive basically because it doesn't matter if they come out of these things and live somewhere else the main thing is that they survive and when you put reseeded power out the the most dangerous time for them really is the first two or three days. That's when most of the predation happens and it's when they're most vulnerable. Yeah, so if we decide that this has worked well enough, we'll do another little pilot in Kaikoura where we'll do effectively the same thing, but we'll also put some out, not sure how many yet, but at a couple of sites to look at recruitment to see how many juveniles are coming back there and to monitor that over time. So this should be 10, Tom. It's not a bad haul. The mesh across the bottom, Alison, is for a couple of things. What happens when you turn a boulder over with juvenile power on it is that a lot, or just about most of the power, actually let go, and they fall into the water. So you've got mesh across the bottom just to stop yeah, them yeah, falling out. Yeah, yeah, basically to try and stop them falling out, but also to stop big predators getting in if these things aren't placed on an even surface on the bottom. So you're not going to have a closer look at what's in there, Pete? Yep, I'm having a closer look. I've opened up the uh, netting, and here's a beautiful decorator crab. Not part of the study, can go no. back out to sea. Yep, yep. <laughs> Two fifteen mil. Wild, yeah. Wild. Yeah, so the wild ones from the from around here are starting to go into the Mallison. And how do you know that they're your power? Have you tagged them in some way? No, well we have tagged some of them actually. But you can see the colour, they're quite bright blue turquoise. Oh they're and gorgeous. The, yeah, yeah. So that's from the um, food they're fed in the hatchery, so you find they're quite distinct. What do you feed them to turn them that amazing turquoise blue colour? They they call it macra, which is a casein milk sort of based um, food. And they certainly come out that really nice colour. There's uh, rumours that if they eat uh, 
macrocystis seaweed they come out very blue and if they eat other different seaweeds you get the different colours so that's uh, a possible explanation yeah see quite a few cat eyes in there too Alison and a little um, a little sea urchin and a little canner so you're just noting how many are in each one at the moment? Yeah, is that yeah, pretty much, Alison. But we'll have to search this whole area to see what sort of overall survival of the reseeds we have. So this should be number six, Tom. How long are you leaving them here for? These have been here for two months now, Alison, yeah. So there were 50 in each when we put them out, and it went down to... Oh, about 20% relatively quickly over about, you know, two or three weeks and seems to be at about 15% of what we we put in. Right, so there's two... Two of ours. ours three wild. Yeah, three wild, about what? Between 20 to 50 mil. What eats baby power? Anything, Alison. Um, a starfish fish. They're quite vulnerable at that size. Hence the need for habitats for them. Yeah, that's right. And that's why they they like living under boulders where things can't get at them. And it's why we've made these entrances around the sides as small as possible. Two of those wild power in that habitat are motoring around yeah. quite fast. Yeah, what you notice when you turn them over is that the wild power take off really quickly. But the hatchery red ones, even now, just sit there. And that's probably because... Um, in the hatchery and when we've been holding them at Niwa they've become accustomed to light whereas the wild ones have always been under boulders and if they come out into the light they um, they don't like it whereas the, the hatchery guys just don't know the difference really It's amazing no. they pick up these different behaviours that early Yeah, yeah, no it is and I, I think it probably does make them, at least initially in the first two or three days, it makes them more vulnerable to predation than, um, than natural power. So they haven't been exposed to predators. So, so you've been working with power for a long time, though? Yeah, quite a long time, Alison, probably about 91 when I first started. So, so what have you learned over that time? Well, we've learned quite a bit about growth rates and maturity. We've tagged a lot of them in a lot of places around the country. Does it vary much around the country? Yeah, no, it does vary quite a lot. You know, places like Wellington, um, growth is pretty fast. Around Wellington, say most of the Marlborough Sounds, the Outer Sounds and Stewart Island, it takes about five years for them to get to legal size of 125 mils. But around Banks Peninsula, it probably takes about eight years. But there's also quite a lot of variation, actually, within um, a population at a site. And it means, actually, that if you look at length, frequency, distributions, you can see quite often in a population neat little cohorts. And with power, you can see those for the first, I don't know, two or three years. But because of the growth variation after that, um, it all just merges um, you know, into one one big size class that you can't, you know, you just can't pick out individual cohorts. So there's a lot of variation in growth. Um, it probably also varies from year to year. And there's also quite a lot of variation in length of maturity as well. 
So most places around New Zealand, 50% of the population is probably mature at about 90 millimetres. In places like Taranaki, they tend to mature much smaller, um, you know, can be about as low as about 60 or 65 millimetres. But they don't grow very big in Taranaki, you see. So it probably means, although there's no proof, that maturity is age-related rather than length-related because, obviously, the ones in Taranaki, you know, just grow really slowly, so, you know, they'll be four, three or four years old when they're only about 60 mils long, whereas a power from Stewart Island, you know, will be about 90 mils at that age, so... Yeah. And what size are people allowed to legally harvest them? Uh, it's 125 around most of New Zealand. Um, in Taranaki, it's, they reduced it a few years ago to 85 millimetres. And that was, that's because they don't get much bigger than that. So why don't they get bigger there? Is it just that there's less food for them? It's probably a combination of things, Alison. It's hard to, hard to nail it. It probably does relate to food, the quality of the food. It might also be a temperature-related thing. It's a lot warmer up there. So power have a copper-based blood system called haemocyanin, and above about 20 degrees, it loses its oxygen-binding um, ability. So there are physiological things associated with warm water, but you don't get as much big algae growing in warm water either. Um, and up there there's also, it's usually pretty rough and there's a lot of sediment in the water quite often, so it's possible also that, you know, the sediment clogs their gills a bit. So I think it's a combination of all those things. It's just really hard to tease out. But it's almost certainly not a genetic thing because if you shift power from areas where they're stunted into areas of good growth, they'll start growing again. Thanks, Wren. That was Wren Naylor from Niwa, and we also heard from diver Peter Notman, although I have to say the tide was so low that he wasn't really diving. It was more like paddling. Hey there, I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ National on the 8th of February 2018. We are on the web at any hour of the day or night and you can find us at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld as well as on the wonderful RNZ app. On Twitter and Facebook we are RNZ Science. If you haven't already subscribed to RNZ Our Changing World, the podcast, well we're on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes and Radio Public. If you've already rated or reviewed us, thanks heaps. We really appreciate it. Another long-running podcast series, which you might like, although I suppose it's really a long walking series, is The Long Way Home, in which Bruce Hopkins shares his journey along Te Araroa Trail from Cape Rianga to Stewart Island. That's The Long Way Home, available from all the usual podcast places. Thanks for listening right to the end, which we've just arrived at. Ka kite anō. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com 
or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.